Open up your Bible to Matthew chapter 7. Again, we are in um, the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to read verses 13 through 27 again. Now, this section of Scripture makes up the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. And if you've been at Harbin's a while, you know that we've been studying the Sermon on the Mount. It's part of our Seeing and Savoring Jesus Christ sermon series where we're harmonizing all four Gospels as we walk through the, the earthly life and ministry of our Lord Jesus in a chronological fashion. Now, in this concluding portion of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus applies all that he has taught thus far in the sermon with a challenge and a call to action. Now, it's important, I said this last week several times, I'll say it again today, it's important for us to remember that Jesus is preaching to his followers, to those who who at least claim to be his disciples. Now, there's a larger crowd of people listening in, many who do not follow Jesus, but the sermon is directly um, aimed at and applicable to Jesus' followers. Now, as Jesus draws this sermon to a close, uh, he, in essence, is saying that not all of those who claim to be his disciples actually are his disciples. Thus, these final words of the Sermon on the Mount are hard words. They're, sometimes people consider these narrow words, maybe even think that Jesus is being a bit intolerant here in this concluding portion of the sermon. But Jesus is showing his disciples that true, authentic discipleship is difficult and that there is such a thing as false discipleship. And to make his point, Jesus gives us four very clear contrasts in this final portion of the Sermon on the Mount. Contrast between true discipleship and false discipleship. And you can see them quite clearly, verses 13 through 14, which we studied last week. Jesus lays out two paths that we can take. Verses 15 through 20, which we are studying today. And we're only going to get to that portion today. So we'll save the last two sections for the next couple of weeks. But today, in this verses 15 through 20, he gives us two different types of teachers that are available to the church. Two different types of teachers. And then verses 21 through 23 demonstrate two different types of confessions that people make. Or you could say two different types of lordships. And then verses 24 through 27 show us two different foundations on which people build their lives. And those contrasts are what help us distinguish between true disciples and false disciples. So to get the feel and the context of this whole section of Scripture, we're going to read the whole thing again, verses 13 through 27. So please stand, if you would, as we get ready to read. And we're going to focus again primarily on verses 15 through 20. And we read because we believe that this word, this, this Scripture, this Bible that we read from every Sunday is the inerrant, infallible Word of God. These, this has the Word of life for us. We can go nowhere else. So Matthew 7 Beginning in verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Let's pray. Father, we ask now that you would take your word and apply it to our lives, apply it to our hearts. 
Lord, I pray that as we get into this somewhat challenging passage about identifying false teachers, Lord, that you would help us to be bold, to be courageous in a culture that says that we must be polite and never, ever say that anyone is wrong. So, Father, help us. Jesus, we pray that these words would stick with us as we leave here today, that you would help us to discern as we go out into the world between false teachers and false teaching and true teachers and true teaching. But help us to do it in a manner that is consistent with the gospel, in a manner that's consistent with Christ-likeness, that's consistent with everything else Jesus has already taught us about not being judgmental, but being people who make good moral judgments. So, Father, we ask for your grace and your wisdom today. Give me the mouth to speak, because this is a challenging sermon. And give us all ears to hear. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Just thinking about what I just said, Jesus, give me a mouth to speak, because this is a challenging sermon. You know what? I don't matter if it's, it doesn't matter if it's a challenging sermon or not, right? I should always ask Jesus to give me a mouth to speak. But this is a bit of a challenging sermon. We get talking about false prophets this morning. Before we do that, just to help illustrate something here, I've got two bags here, and I need one very lucky volunteer uh, to help me out this morning. Someone who likes sweets and would love to ruin their lunch. I only see Sayla raising her hand. So, Sayla, come on up here. All right? I've got bags here of what? Cookies. Cookies. What kind of cookies? Chocolate chip. All right, I'm going to open this bag. Do you smell those cookies? They smell good? But they're pet cookies. I tell you what. Sayla, I'm going to have you sit back down, young lady. No, okay, no, stay right here. No, that's fine. She totally blew the illustration. Now, I, now this, this, these look like cookies, right? Okay, and they smell like cookies? Just, yes, they do. All right, how about these cookies over here? They also, they all, they smell like these, don't they? Okay. And these look pretty similar. But I, what I was going to do was tell you that one of these two was a dog treat and one of them was a real cookie. Okay. <laughs> and ask you to pick which one it was. To discern which one was the false cookie, which one was the true cookie. So that it would go along with the illustration for the sermon. <laughs> but since I can't do that, and since you're already so discerning that you have determined that this truly is the pet cookie, she's right. These cookies over here are pet cookies. These are dog treats. And I don't think your mom would appreciate me giving you dog treats. No dog treats, Sandy? No, we do have a dog that would love them. You do have a dog that would love them. All right. All right. That's why you know that I should have asked for children with no pets. Please come up and help me with the illustration. You're right. So I'm going to let you have these cookies because I'm not saying they're good for you, but at least they're, they're consumable by humans. So you can have those cookies and you can save these. What's your, your dog's name? Mercy. Mercy. Oh, yes. That's what I'm asking for right now. Please have a seat. <laughs> All right. The purpose of that illustration was to point out that what's true and what's false is oftentimes hard to discern. And so when we come to today's text, we need to see that there are teachers in the world today masquerading as teachers of truth who are really serving up anything but the truth. They may dress it up with Christian lingo. They may put the veneer of orthodoxy on it. But what they're actually feeding God's people, and remember Jesus is speaking to those who claim to be his followers, what they're feeding God's people is actually unhealthy and even deadly. Now before we get into today's text about false teachers, teachers, in false teaching, uh, I want to remind you of what we studied last week as we looked at the first two verses of this concluding portion of the Sermon on the Mount. I remind you that the road of true Christianity can only be entered into when one is stripped of sin and self. And then we saw that the road of true Christianity takes one on a journey filled with turmoil and affliction. So the, 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 the gate is narrow and the road is hard. And then we saw that the road of true Christianity leads to a destination that is glorious, but is yet to come. It leads to life, but 
the full experience of eternal life is yet to come. And then the road of true Christianity has few travelers and is therefore alienating and lonely. Few there are that find the true road, and yet there are many who go down the wide and easy road. Now remember, Jesus is talking to his disciples here. These are people who have, who have said that they are following him. And the danger of the two roads then that Jesus gives us is a danger for those who are in, quote-unquote, in the church. For we know that the church is filled with both true believers and false believers. Now, since there are two roads, one leading to life and one leading to destruction, we have to ask ourselves the question, how is it that so many people end up going down the wrong road? Well, the reason is, is that many are led down the wrong road. If there's a wrong road, then there are guides leading people to and down that wrong road. And that's what today's text is all about. Matter of fact, today's text serves as sort of a bridge between verses 13 through 14, which we studied last week, and then verses 21 through 23, which is next week where we see these two confessions or two different groups of of followers. And so what causes someone to enter the wide gate and head down the easy road and thus become someone who says, Lord, Lord, yet be someone who doesn't truly know the Lord? What gets someone down that road to be the kind of person who says, Lord, Lord, But isn't someone who really knows the Lord? Well, the linchpin there is false teachers. There are people that lead others down wide roads. Now, in our day, we don't like calling anyone a false teacher, right? If you call people false teachers, you will get labeled as a heresy hunter or something else. But the very fact that Jesus starts today's text off saying, Beware of false prophets assumes that there are such things as false prophets. Jesus Jesus isn't saying, now just in case some false prophets come around, he is commanding us to be on our guard because there are false prophets. They exist and they are a danger. And the fact that that there are false teachers also requires that there is some sort of standard of truth by which those teachers are judged. So the fact that there are false teachers means that there's some sort of standard of truth that we have to judge teachers by. True prophets do not preach opinion. True prophets preach divine revelation, a standard of truth. And any deviation or veering from that revelation, from the divine revelation of God's word, is a deviation into falsehood. Now, though we don't like to put people in a category of false prophet. To the Jewish mind, this was easily acceptable because the Old Testament repeatedly warns of false prophets. And nearly every, you may not know this, but nearly every New Testament book deals with false teaching of some sort. And some New Testament books, such as 2 Peter and Jude, are dedicated entirely to the issue of false teachers. But today it's not considered loving to talk about, much less label, anyone a false prophet. Now we're talking about false prophet here. We're talking about someone who, with the whole body of their teaching, is attempting to take people in a direction that's opposite of the Scripture. That's what I mean by that. Because, really, there are no infallible teachers. From time to time, I say something that's false, because I'm not, I'm not infallible. I am fallible. I'm only a true teacher to the degree that I'm in line with this word right here. And so when we're talking about false teachers, we're talking about a category of people, not just preachers that mess up from time to time. We're talking about a category of people who, with their whole body of teaching, are leading people away from this book and toward a wide and easy road that leads to destruction. So we are to be on our guard. People today say that we can't call people false prophets it's not, it's not polite to do that. And politeness has trumped truth. We hear things, people say things like, well, so long as they love Jesus, right? So long as they love Jesus, we don't need to worry about what they're teaching. It's just, it's so long as everyone loves Jesus. Well, friends, there are people at the end of this chapter that say, Lord, Lord. And you would look at them and you'd say, hey, they love Jesus. And the Bible tells us they end up in the, on the road to destruction. They're actually workers of iniquity. They are workers of lawlessness who love Jesus. So just saying, well, so long as that church or that teacher, as long as they just love Jesus, we're okay, we can all get along, is not the standard Jesus calls us to. 
He calls us to a much more challenging standard. We are to be vigilant. We are commanded to be vigilant. Now, I don't... I've really blown it today in various different ways. I don't have your notes on the screen, just like I didn't have them for the Bible study. So I was trying to put them in last minute, and I caused the computer to crash, which caused us to start 10 minutes late and all of that. And I think it's just God's way of really humbling me. Because actually, and I'll just be honest with you, I'm trying to be transparent, okay? Authentic is a good word, right? Um, I mean, after last week's sermon, I felt pretty good about the sermon. I got lots, I got more comments on last week's sermon, probably than any sermon I've ever preached at Harbin's. And I got a little puffed up this week, and wouldn't you know, God's burst in my bubble this week. All right, so he's, gonna, he's deflating me this morning so that I can preach rightly, because pride is actually one of the signs of a false prophet. Pride is one of the things you look for when you're trying to determine if someone is a false prophet. So I don't have the notes up there. I'm going to read you the notes so you guys have to fill in the blanks, and here is your first one. We are commanded to look and listen diligently... For false teachers are deceptively disguised. We are commanded to look and listen diligently because false teachers are deceptively disguised. Beware of. Now this is a command that Jesus is giving us here. He is telling us to pay attention to not let our guard down. That's what the word means. To never let your guard down. How many of you guys remember the old cartoon, Sheepdog Sam? You remember Sheepdog Sam? You don't remember that one? It's one of the lesser-known Warner Brothers uh, uh, cartoons. But it's, there's this white, big white sheepdog, and then there's a wolf that he's trying to protect the sheep from. Remember, they would come, and they would, they would like, clock in each morning, and, and then they would go do their work, and the wolf would go try to steal the sheep, and Sheepdog Sam would always win. He always defeated the wolf. Now, the wolf looks just like Wiley e. Coyote off of, um, off of Roadrunner. Okay, so, but it's Ralph Wolf in the, in the cartoon series. So, but, but Sheepdog Sam, despite the fact that he had hair flopped over his eyes and just sort of sat there looking like he wasn't paying attention, was always on guard. And Ralph Wolf never got anything past Sheepdog Sam. That's the idea here. We are supposed to be always on guard. Beware implies not only that there are false teachers, but that they are a constant threat to the church. This word here, to, to beware, is talking about always being on guard, which means that false teaching is always a constant threat to the church. There's not a moment in church history where, okay, it's, it's better now. We don't have to worry about false teachers. False teaching is always a threat to the church, and let's also apply that locally. No matter how great we think our church might be and how sound our doctrine we think we're, we're, how sound we think our doctrine is, we are always in danger of false teaching sneaking into our church. We have got to be on guard. And the danger is you get to a point where you feel like the fellowship of the church is sweet, things are going well, um, we're adding members and all this sort of stuff, and what do you do? You end up letting your guard down, and someone sneaks in, because that's what false teachers do. They sneak in and begin to upset people and cause problems. And begin to teach things that aren't in line with the scripture. Next thing you know, what was once a solid, good church has now been fractured and broken into pieces. And there's people whose lives are hurt. And worse, there are now some people going down the wide road to destruction. So we always have to be on our guard. There are always false prophets. This word literally is pseudo-prophets. Sotoprophetes is the Greek word. Pseudoprophets trying to infiltrate the church. And it says, who come to you. It says, beware of false prophets who come to you. That means they seek out the church. You don't have to go and find false prophets. They come to the church. False prophets look for the sheepfold and seek to enter it. They sneak into sound churches to disrupt sound doctrine. And unfortunately, they are very hard to detect. They don't wear labels. You know, we used to do name tags. I don't know why we stopped. We used to do name tags at Harbin, so we'd all be like, hey, you, Steve. All right. But there's not like a name tag that says, hey, I'm Bill. False prophet, by the way. It's good to, good to see you this morning. They don't wear name tags. They're not easily identifiable. They come to us disguised, deceptively. That's why it says they come to you in sheep's clothing. They come dressed in a costume of seeming orthodoxy. They come outfitted in love and peace and unity. But inwardly they hate orthodoxy and they work to divide and conquer the church. 
They are deceptively disguised. Again, we're talking about those who claim to be Christ's followers. Jesus isn't talking here when he talks about false teachers, about other religions or cults that are clearly at odds with biblical scripture. What he's talking about are sneaky folks who come in looking like they believe this, but in reality they don't. He is addressing his followers, which means he is warning against false teachers that look like true teachers. They're hard to detect. You know, there's not a wolf section in your local bookstore. Your Christian bookstore, there should be. But there's not a wolf section in your local Christian bookstore. You don't walk in and say, yeah, if you'll just take the wide aisle over here, there's a big section back here that says wolf. That's where the false teaching is. They're hard to detect. It's mixed in with all the other books. The section on Christian living. You go to any Christian bookstore, including, unfortunately, our Southern Baptist Christian bookstore, Lifeway, and you go into the Christian living section, and you will see wolf teaching mixed in with sheep teaching. All right there, mixed in all together. Because it's hard to detect. So, we must look and listen diligently. False teachers are clandestine, they're covert, they're concealed. Jude Verse 4 says, for certain people have crept in unnoticed. 2 Peter 2 verse 1 says, they secretly bring in destructive heresies. And 2 Corinthians 11 verses 13 and following say, for such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. They are deceptive because they are orthodox sounding. These teachers, according to 2 Timothy 3, 5, have the appearance of godliness, but deny its power. That's why, as Paul goes on to tell Timothy, he says that they creep into households. They're sneaky, stealthy, and sly. Now, do all false teachers know they are false teachers? That was the question that was on my mind as I was thinking, reading through this this week. Okay, does that mean that every false teacher knows he or she, is a false teacher. Well, thinking about it and reading about it, I think that many do. Many know exactly what they're doing. But I also think there's some that that do not, that are teaching false teaching because, well, maybe that's how they were taught to teach. Or maybe it's what the culture's teaching them to teach. 2 Timothy 3, 5, I mean, 2 Timothy 3.13 says, evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So I have no doubt that some false teachers, some false prophets are deceived themselves. As we read later in verse 22, it says, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? So there's going to be some on that final day who were teachers who say, hey, we prophesied in your name, Lord, who are not going to go into the kingdom of heaven. Self-deceived. But regardless, Jesus commands us, whether, regardless of whether or not false teachers know what they're doing or don't know what they're doing, te- Jesus commands us to look and listen diligently, for false teachers are deceptively disguised whether we know it or not, whether they know it or not. You know, Sam Sheepdog, to go back to that illustration, he always thaw through Ralph's disguises. Ralph always came in with lots of disguises. So sometimes he'd zip himself up in a, ze- in a sheep suit. But Sam Sheepdog always found these guys before, found Ralph Wolf before it was too late. And that leads me to my, my next observation here this morning from this text is that we are warned to look and listen discerningly for false teachers bring destructive doctrines. So not only are we commanded to look and listen diligently because they're deceptively disguised, we are to look and listen discerningly because, well, they bring destructive doctrines. Now even though our current Christian culture tells us that it's mean and divisive to try to discern good teaching from bad, Scripture commands us to do that very thing. 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. We, we are commanded to try to discern whether or not this is good teaching or bad teaching. But today, especially if you've got a friend that says, hey, I go to this or such church, and you say, hey, listen, have you really looked at what they're teaching? You know, is it really in line with this book? They will say, how can you say that? How can you be so mean and divisive? Well, friends, if that's how the world perceives us as being, and so long as we're just doing what the Scripture tells us to do, we're trying to test every spirit, 
then we need to obey Scripture and not the culture. Some even say that trying to discern between good and bad teaching is nothing more than quenching the Spirit of God at work. Have you ever heard that? Oh, come on, you're just quenching the Holy Spirit by trying to, trying to say that this group over here isn't teaching right doctrine. You're just quenching the Spirit, brother. Well, you know what? Let's read about quenching the Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies. And if it ended right there, that person would have an argument. But it goes on in verse 21. But test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. 1 Corinthians 14 says that any teaching or prophecy spoken in the church must be weighed by, the, by others. You are to weigh what I say this morning. What does Jesus command the Ephesian church? In, or what does he commend them for in Revelation 2? Revelation 2, verse 2. Does he commend them for overlooking bad teaching in an attempt to, to maintain some sort of unity? Is that what he commends them for? No, he says this. Revelation 2, 2. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. Jesus is pleased with the church that tests what they hear. Of course, we need to be wise. We need to practice what Jesus earlier taught us regarding judgmentalism. Judgmentalism is hypercritical and hypocritical. Do you get that hypercritical and hypocritical? But we are called to use sound judgment in the church, and we are called to discern between what is good and evil and what is true and false. Judgmentalism usually tries to puff us up, but sound judgment is trying to exalt Christ. We honor him above everything else, and thus we want his word to be preached rightly. So you can see true unity is built on the foundation of Christ and his words, and we'll see that later in the conclusion to the Sermon on the Mount in the, in the last little part. So when these words are violated, when Christ's words are violated or ignored or contradicted, there can be no unity. There can be no unity with a teacher who swerves away from the words of Christ. Colossians 2.8, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So we must look and listen discerningly. Why? Because the teachings that are snuck in by false teachers are devastating. They're deadly. It says here, Jesus says, They come to you in sheep's clothing, but are inwardly ravenous wolves. The word here, this ravenous word, is the, is the image conjured up by the word, is that of a beast tearing apart and eating its prey. We must see, friends, that false teachers are not mis, just misguided. They are deadly. False teachers are not just misguided, they are deadly. They don't just want to cause confusion, they want to eat sheep. Ralph Wolf wants to eat sheep, not just cause problems for Sam's sheepdog. The problem is that we come in, we hear false teachers, well, that teaching may not be all that great, and in an attempt to reach some sort of false type of unity, we don't recognize the danger. Acts twenty twenty nine says, I know that after my departure, this is Paul speaking to the Ephesian elders, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves, he's speaking to the elders, will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, is what Paul says. False teachers are hidden tour guides on the wide and easy road to hell. They help the devil snatch up the seeds of faith that have been scattered in the hearts of all who hear the word of God preached. They shipwreck the faith of many. John 10.10 10 says the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Now a lot of people mistakenly apply that, that verse right there, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, to Satan. You realize what Jesus is talking about there in that passage of scripture. He's talking about false teachers like the Pharisees that come to kill, steal, and destroy. These false teachers preach destructive heresies, according to the Apostle Peter in 2 Peter 2.1. And he goes on to say that many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of truth is actually blasphemed. These people blaspheme the true way in order to lead people down the easy way. 
Do we see the danger of putting up with false teaching? There is a type of unity in the church that is good and sweet and godly and God-glorifying, but there is a type of unity in the church which is a false unity. Jude 19 tells us that this, that false teachers actually cause division. So there is a type of false unity that is deceptive, deadly, and damning. So we are commanded to look and listen with diligence and discernment. And we are told to do so because Jesus says that false teachers can be detected. And here's your last, um, well, the, the, the third point there in your notes. We are called to look and listen diligently and discerningly for false teachers can be detected by their deeds. So it's not like false teaching can't be detected in the church. It can be. They are sneaky, false teachers, but this doesn't mean that the fruit of their ministry is equally hidden. False teachers can be detected by their fruit. Okay, now the idea of false teachers being detected by their fruit seems to be Jesus' main focus here. And why do I say that it's his main focus? Well, because if you look at the text here, you'll see that he says nine times we're supposed to look at the fruit. So let's just read it here again, verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Fruit, 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 fruit. Hopefully Jesus has got our attention. So what is the fruit? Well, to help, help us out this morning, I've broken it down into three categories. And those are the last three things in your notes there. The fruit of a false teacher is detected, number one, in the conduct of their character. So your first two little blanks there in those last three sections, those last three bullet points, is the conduct of their character. Let me go ahead and give you all three of them so I don't have to do this every time since I blew it with the whole slides this morning. The second one is the consequence of their ministry. The consequence of their ministry. And the last one is the content of their teaching. So the conduct of their character, the consequence of their ministry, and the content of their teaching. We must inspect the fruit. The thorn, ju- the thorn bushes that Jesus is speaking of here in this text... Uh, referred to a plant or a little thorn bush plant in, in, in that area of the world that had little bitty black berries growing on it that could be easily uh, mistaken for grapes or figs, but only from a distance. If you were up close, you could tell, obviously, this is a thorn bush, those aren't grapes, that's not figs. But from a distance, you might think that those are grapes and those are figs. And that's what Jesus is wanting us to do, to get up close and inspect the fruit. We are to be fruit inspectors. Now, I said earlier, uh, we're not supposed to be heresy hunters, meaning we don't go out looking for heresy, but we are to be fruit inspectors. We are to evaluate the type of fruit coming out of any teacher, including me. You're just to evaluate the fruit of my ministry, the fruit of my family, the fruit of my conduct. That is to be evaluated by the church to determine whether or not I'm a false teacher. The conduct of their character. Now, even though these teachers have a veneer of true Christianity, of even orthodoxy and piety, underneath the surface is a distaste for God's word and God's ways. False teachers have a hidden desire for the world. They pursue it instead of godliness, and they will produce a disposition that is not in keeping with the child of God. Strip away the Christian costume, and you will find pride instead of humility. You'll find man-centeredness instead of God-centeredness. You'll find self-serving exaltation instead of spirit-led exaltation. You'll find show instead of sacrifice. You'll find excuses instead of repentance. That's a big one right there. You'll find excuses. When a pastor fails and messes up, does he repent or does he just give excuses? You'll find political posturing instead of mutual submission. You'll find superficial rule-keeping instead of deep holiness. And eventually these things will surface. D.A. Carson said the nature of a, troop, of a false prophet cannot be hidden forever. Sooner or later he will be seen for what he is. Just as he does not advocate Jesus' narrow way, so also does he fail to live it. This fact must one day be exposed to all who cherish the narrow way. How many times have we seen it? False teachers who seem to be good, orthodox-sounding teachers. 
And there's little red flags here or there. Eh, he seems to be a little prideful. Or, I don't know, he, he advocates that we can do this, but that's not really in keeping with holiness. And little by little, you begin to see these red flags, and before you know it, boom, some sort of big either moral crisis happens in their life or their ministry collapses or something because you know what? The false prophet can put on the show for only so long before what's inside actually comes out. Matthew chapter 12, verse 33 says, Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruits. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. So Jesus, in a very similar passage, is talking about how out of your heart will eventually come who you really are. Titus 1.11 says that these teachers teach for shameful gain what, what they ought not to teach. 2 Peter 2.3 says they exploit the flock. Their outward piety is simply a manipulative way for them to better themselves. 2 Corinthians 11.15 says their end will correspond to their deeds. Eventually the fruit reveals the root. Wolves cannot grow wool. They can put on a sheep suit, but they can't grow the wool. Thorn bushes can't produce grapes and figs. You can tape wool on a wolf, and you can stick grapes on thorns, but eventually the true nature of a false teacher emerges. And the second type of fruit we need to consider is the consequence of their ministry. False teachers lead many to travel down a road that is wide and easy. They'll produce a people who turn away from the narrow truth and embrace a more easy-to-listen-to gospel. I've said, this, I've said this many times that I think that you'll begin to see a weaning in the church, or you'll begin to see this, 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 um, this fiery trial come upon the church mainly around the issue of, of gay marriage, homosexuality, gender issues. You'll begin to see it. It's already here. And you'll begin to see true churches emerge from false churches over that issue. Because here's what's happened. It's because many churches have built very large followings on a man-centered way of teaching and have not stuck to this book. And now that there's an issue that the world says, hey, you've got to decide where you're at on this. And when they come to their congregation who hasn't been feasting on this and they say to the congregation, All right, hey, we can't embrace what the world says about sexuality, half their congregation will leave. Because the congregation hasn't, been, hasn't grown up on this book. And therefore, they will leave. But the false teacher can't do that because they'll lose the big building and the big salary and the big program. So he's going to say, Let's, we're not going to take a stand on that. We're not, we're not going to take a stand on that issue. And thus, he's going to lead his people down a wide, easy road because it's very easy to just not take a stand on that right now in the name of tolerance. That is a wide and easy road. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Wandering ministries are the evidence of false teachers who have been influenced by false teaching from false teachers. I'm sorry, it's the evidence of false believers, I should say, who have been influenced by false teaching from false teachers. And how many wandering ministries do we see today? Yet another very prominent evangelical this week came out and caved under the cultural pressure of the, what I call the pressure of erotic liberties, which is pressing down on our culture. I didn't, I didn't, word, I didn't come up with that phrase, Al Mohler did, but that's what, what's pressing down upon our culture today, upon our churches. Now, the evidence that a teacher is false is ultimately going to be seen in the long-term consequence of their ministry. And I'm not talking about numbers or programs or buildings. I'm talking about lives. Where do they leave their people? But finally, and most importantly, the content of their teaching. And I think this is the ultimate test. This is the main aim Jesus is pointing to. Because when their teaching is examined, it will be shown to be inconsistent with the narrow way. Remember the context. If the way is narrow, then it can only be entered into when one is stripped of sin and self then the teaching of the false prophet will not require repentance. 
It will not require recognition of our depravity. It will not require us to take sin seriously. It will not require, it will not recognize the judgment of God. It will be soft and light and non-burdensome. It will view man's self-esteem as too precious to risk damaging it with too much talk of sin. And so it will permit licentiousness and sensuality instead of actually confronting these sins. According to Jude 4, it says they pervert the grace of God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. They take the grace of God and pervert it saying that grace gives us license to go in and live however we want to live and sin in whichever way we want to sin. To which Paul says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? By no means. And if the narrow road is a journey filled with turmoil and affliction, then the false prophet will not require holiness. He will not teach a a, a teaching that requires one forsaking the world at the risk of being made fun of, or worse, at the risk of being persecuted. He will not give a teaching that requires us to stand up for the truth. It will be called relevant at the expense of righteous. It will love the applause of men more than the approval of God. Jeremiah said this in Jeremiah 6, 14. They have healed, speaking of false prophets, false shepherds. They have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Were they ashamed when they committed abomination? No, they were not all ashamed. They did not know how to blush. There are people in our churches today that don't even blush at the sins they're committing. You know why? They haven't been told by their shepherd that it's sin and that it's deadly. If the narrow road leads to a destination that is glorious but yet to come, well, then false teachers and false prophets will turn our attention from heavenly things to earthly things. Okay? False teachers will dismiss the danger of materialism. False teachers will call for our best life now. False teachers will even tell you that you can have health, wealth, and prosperity right now, and that should be your ultimate aim. It will downplay or even dismiss heavenly treasures so that one will fix his eyes upon himself and upon earthly treasures. 1 Timothy 6.5 says that these teachers go on imagining that godliness is a means of gain. And if the narrow road has few travelers and is therefore alienating and lonely, then the teaching of the false prophet will will convince us that um, we need to aim for popularity. That we need to be accepted above, we need acceptance above endurance. The false teacher will tell us to, to get off the road of holiness by labeling, labeling it constricting or legalistic. False teachers will look at holiness and call it legalism, when in reality all it is is holiness. It'll treat the injuries one incurs while in this life with the balm of moralistic therapeutic deism. Moralistic therapeutic deism was a, a phrase coined in a book that was written about um, 10 years ago which basically a guy went out and he examined the beliefs of most evangelical young adults. So young adults, children, this is what most people, children your age in churches today believe. They believe not in the God of Scripture. They believe in a moralistic, therapeutic deism. And I'm going to explain what that is. They believe that God exists. A God exists who created and ordered the world and watches over human life on earth. That doesn't sound so bad. And they believe that God wants people to be good and nice and fair to each other, as taught in the Bible and most other world religions. They believe that the central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. And they believe that God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except when God is needed to resolve a problem. And they believe that good people go to heaven when they die. Period. That is not the gospel. It sounds great. You have got to learn to discern between that and this. Your parents will help you, hopefully. Parents, you have got to discern between that and this. But more than that, you are going into a world which has a whole lot more pressure to get off the narrow road than we had. You've got to know the difference between the truth And a very clever alternative that sounds wonderful. That is not Christianity, what I described earlier. It's devoid of what? It's devoid of the cross. It's devoid of Christ. Our necessity for Christ. 
This is a faith that believes God but ultimately denies the necessity of the cross. Titus 1.16 says, They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. These teachings are a denial of Christ and his word, which is to be our only foundation for life and for faith. 1 Timothy 6.3 teaches us to avoid anyone who teaches a different doctrine that does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness. And of course, we remember Paul. Paul was astonished that the Galatians were so quickly deserting the gospel and deserting the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel. And that's, what I, that's how I feel when I read that 95% of our children in our churches today believe what I just said earlier, that moralistic therapeutic deism. 95%. The road is narrow that leads to life. The road is wide that leads to destruction. Kids, it is a very easy road to end up on if you're not looking out, paying attention to the teaching you're hearing and evaluating it like the Bereans did in Acts chapter 17 by this book right here. Examining the scriptures to see if this is so. So let me conclude this morning with a word to believers in here and a word to non-believers this morning. Christians, I just encourage you to beware. Jesus warns us in Matthew 24, 11, that many will be led astray. And then later in chapter 20, in verse 24 of that same chapter, that many false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead many astray, if possible, even the elect. So be careful. Examine what you listen to. Examine what you read. Hold it all up in light of this book. Be a Berean, as I just said a minute ago. And in this culture we live in today, which is a globalized culture with major mass communication, instant mass communication. When I was in college, I studied mass communication. And what was mass communication then is nothing compared to the communication we have today. And in this world today, false teaching can spread so easily because with a click of a mouse, you can get any teaching you want to get. And 95% of the Christian teaching is going to be therapeutic, moralistic, moralistic therapeutic deism. Be careful. And because of our globalized society, it can, it can come into your home, into your life, just like that. The, the problem with the Ebola virus right now is that we live in a globalized society and people are traveling all over the place, and so it's hard to get a handle on this thing. Same thing with false teaching. It's everywhere. So we have to be discerning. So Christian, beware. 2 John 8 says, watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. You've got to inspect the fruit, and we need each other's help. Fruit inspection is a community project. When I go to the grocery store and my wife sends me to buy an avocado, I can't pick the right avocado. Because I don't understand this whole thing about how it has to be firm but soft. That makes no sense to me. I need help. I need my wife there with me. What is, what's wrong with this avocado? So too, where one may be strong, another may be weak, we need help as we examine the fruit. Is this good? Hey, brother, can, I heard this this week. Help me think through this scripturally. Dad, my teacher at school said this, and I want to evaluate it in light of the scripture. Help me, Dad. We have to help each other inspect the fruit. Unbeliever here this morning... There are a lot of false Christs being presented in our world today. Let me tell you this. The Christ of Scripture, the true Jesus, was born to a virgin in the flesh. He is 100% human, yet he lived a sinless life, perfect in obedience, devoid of sin. That is because he's also 100% God, the God-man. He is the second person of the Trinity, co-equal with the Father of the same essence, having existed forever. He did not come into existence at his incarnation but he did come into our world to save sinners. He lived that perfect life we could not live, and he died a horrific death on a cross that we deserved. For at his death, he absorbed the righteous wrath of God that we deserved. We deserved it because we were all sinners and incapable of pleasing God. So he took the wrath of God for his people by shedding his blood and giving up his body, and then he rose again from the grave three days later, showing that he was victorious over death, 
and that his sacrificial blood was accepted by the Father, and thus he guaranteed new life for all that are his. And he will return one day to rule and to reign with his saints, with us as co-heirs in a new heavens and a new earth. All that is wrong will be undone. Death itself will cease to be. This is the real Jesus. I am not offering you up dog treats. That's what's in here. But don't take my word for it. Take this book home and read it for yourself. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. And first of all, I ask that you would humble us and cause us to see that this danger is a clear and present danger for every church. I believe that the false prophecies that that Jesus is speaking of mostly here, Father, in this text refer to anything that leads people off the narrow way. But there's all kinds of other things out there. There's false teachings that want to bind us into legalistic structures that we've been freed from. There are false teachings that tell us that we can just live however we want to live so long as we, well, we confess Christ at some point in our life. God, help us to be discerning people to go out from this place today and inspect the fruit, the teaching. When we pick up a book at a Christian bookstore, we should examine it in light of the Scripture. But Father, my deep conviction for myself and everyone in this room is that we cannot do that if we are not consistently, faithfully in your word. So if anything this this morning, Lord, I'm asking that you'd help us to be people of the word this week. Help us, fathers, to keep our family in the word. Help us, Lord, to individually stay in the word. Because without your word, without your word, we're like a, a rudderless ship. And any wind of doctrine that comes blowing our way, we will be unable to discern and we'll get strayed off course. We'll get pushed into destruction. So God, I pray for your help and your mercy and your grace. Lord, I pray that you protect Harbins. Lord, I hope and pray there are no wolves sitting in the room this morning. I pray, Father, that you keep me from becoming a wolf. But Lord, we know that any church is susceptible So help us to be diligent. I pray, Lord, for your grace and mercy upon Tony and I. There is a huge responsibility on us to watch out for wolves. And then to confront the wolves and deal with it. And God, I know my weaknesses. I know how hard it is for me to confront people. So God, I ask for your grace and your help again this morning. And now as we get ready to conclude with the Lord's Supper, I pray, Father, that that we would... We would really believe what I just said about Jesus. That this blood was shed and this body was broken for sinners like us. That's the gospel. And so, Father, we're proclaiming the gospel as we partake of this bread and this this juice. So, God, we ask that this time would be honoring to you and glorifying to you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.